You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 204. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey son, hey son! Hello, Andros! Welcome back! Hello! So, you're not dead after all? <laughs> Why should I? <laughs> Regardless of the, f- of the rumors that, that's been... What uh... rumors? Tell me about them. <laughs> Brian always says that you're dead when, when he's on the show, so that's why. Yeah, he wishes. It's no, I'm, it's not. It's not that easy to get rid of me. Mm. Even though, even though I, tra- I travel a lot, I'm I'm sitting on planes quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so far I've been kicking all right. Yeah. So where where were you last time? Last time I was in um, around the area of Naples, Bella Italia, in, in southern southern Italy. Yeah, Bella Italia, pizza. Esatto. Yeah. I I didn't eat much of pizza. Mm. Um, I did eat a lot of pasta there. Mm. I do like pasta better than pizza. Ah, the weather was beautiful and it was all great. The whole duration of the the eight day long tour was mm-hmm. wonderful in terms of weather. So it looks like this is the first uh, show that I'm on, which is actually in 2020. Yeah, right. Welcome to the new Roaring Twenties. Oh yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> this is the new mm. decade, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it? You must have seen elements of this uh, age-old debate popping up here and there in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Some some people claiming that the year 2020 signifies the end of the decade, or others insisting that the decade is definitely not over yet, and then and, and you should put off those celebrations to December 31st of this year. Mm-hmm. So what is the actual truth? Yeah. I, I think it depends. Actually, well, okay. Let, let go ahead, and I'll I'll tell you what I think afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with the fact that time is a physical concept, right? But uh, the reference points we're using to measure it are completely arbitrary, and uh, thus, whether we consider twenty twenty to be in the two hundred and second or the two hundred and third decade is based on a tradition, nothing else. Mm. And and as such, it has become an issue that people can get very passionate about. But we have to distinguish between two things, I, I believe. When we're talking about the category of the 2020s, like the 80s or the 90s, traditionally, we are counting from the 2020 to 2029. It wouldn't make much sense to call the year 2030 as one of the 2020s, just to be able to start the decade with a number ending with one. Yeah. While in the decimal system, it will make much more sense because we start with the number one and finish with the number 10 and on and on and on. But when it comes to counting the decades, it becomes a whole new story. The 203rd decade starts the moment we pass the mark represented by the turn from 2019 to 2020. After that mark, everything is in the 203rd decade. Like when you pass the 20th birthday, you're in your 21st year, right? Mm -hmm. Until you pass 21. And traditionally, we count centuries and millennia the same way, and that is obvious to many. But for some reason, when it comes to decades, we got confused. (laughs) And uh, this tradition dates back to to, the works of Dionysius Exigus, a monk from between current-day Romania and uh, Bulgaria in uh, 525 determined not only the dates of Easter for every year, but also came up with a system of counting years based on the assumed date of the birth of Jesus Christ. When another monk by the name Venerable Bede, about 200 years later, established the concept of BC, before Christ. Mm -hmm. But he did so without introducing a year zero. Yeah. <laughs> so whatever happened after 1 BC before Christ had to happen in 1 AD, which means in the year of the Lord, Anno Domini. Mm. And thus with uh, Christ, when he was in the 33rd year, it was already the year 33. In short, this is not a question we should be fighting over, but something we need to understand. As every measuring system, this is based on both traditions and calculations, so we need to deal with it as such and enjoy the opportunity to celebrate twice. Yeah, of course. Why? Of course. Of course. <laughs> 
But, uh, you know, Andras, nobody's going to bother about that in daily life. There's a new, it starts with 20, 2020, so we call it the 20s. So people yeah, assume exactly. this is a new decade and I'm fine with that. That's good. <laughs> exactly. I, <laughs> I, just, go with that. I, I just find it funny how heated the debates could be. Yep, online. It's just ridiculous. Some people are fighting for this as if it was like a matter of life and death. Mm. But I, 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 th- I thought I'd just throw this in because mm. I, I love the the historical background of all this and everything. Mm. Right, what have you guys been up to since the beginning of the 2020s? Well, not not too much, but we're looking forward to things to come. I want to mention that... Uh, well, I, First of all, we should give a big shout out to the Czech skeptics, Sisyphos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. They're an extremely active group, and they're setting up, or setting up or advertising three to four events per week at this point. So, big shout out to them and to our friend, of course, occasional wow. co-host and leader of the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, Claire Krolik Klingenberg. There was one event, especially uh, one listener alerted us to, and that is that uh, on the 18th of February, Norbert Aust will be visiting Prague, and he's going to talk there about Informationsnetzwerk Homeopathie, the INH, Information Network about Homeopathy, which is the excellent organization started by the German skeptics, GVUP and Natalie Grams and that uh, gang. So... I, I don't know if this is a start of if they're just going to present facts, etc. But I know that uh, Informations Netzwerk Homeopathie has been working on English documentation, for instance. So maybe we will see that organization reaching across borders. That would be great. Oh, absolutely. We've been talking about that for a long, long time. Mm. At least the need for, for such a cross-border organization. So uh, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. I've um, been to a skeptics meeting for a change in Seattle, and uh, they have a local group here that is hosted by the guy named Scott. He's great. (laughs) It's very funny. He tries his best to invite sort of new speakers every week. It's quite an ambitious, I guess, task. And sometimes members of the group give us the talk and sometimes somebody from outside of the group comes. So I went to the one called Disruptive Play, the trickster in politics and culture. And uh, it was done by a professor who has written a book of the same name. And he was talking about the stereotype uh, or archetype of tricksters uh, sort of in general history, which was very fascinating because I don't know much about any stereotypes to be completely honest with you never mind that particular one but as he was it was like a mythology that he was referring to that guided uh, different histories and different cultures and, and different civilizations and how they all had similar stereotypes in different places in the world and kind of that evolved into the same kind of characters, which was interesting and not connected at all. But anyway, so that was unusual talk. Uh, Shepard Siegel, his name is the guy who did the talk. Oh, um, and I'll be, I'll be looking out for mm-hmm. other events. They, like I said, they're quite, quite active on yeah. the meetup group here. I've actually missed one that I wanted to go to about the electoral college. The American. Oh yeah, that's very interesting. The American at the system, point. Yeah. yeah, very much debated. But, uh, yeah, uh, but I'm, I'm, I've missed that yeah. one, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, no, it, it's fantastic. These uh, skeptics in the pub meetings and and the like all over the world. It's happening all the time. I actually want to mention one more of those that's coming up next week already in Lund, very close to where I live. We will have a real life Ig Nobel winner talking to us. Ah, what did he do? You know what he won? Yes, his name is Thomas Persson, and he, together with his colleagues, received the Ig Nobel Prize in Anthropology in 2018 for studying how chimpanzees and humans imitate each other and one another at the zoo. <laughs> so, I so I guess it, well, it's serious research, really. It's about communication between species. And uh, and the, the yeah, I'm looking forward to it very much. The talk will be on Tuesday, the 14th of January, at Larnas in Lund. If anybody's interested to go, <laughs> I will be there. Uh, I'm sure it will be very interesting. Cool, fantastic. Uh, it sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah. I actually, uh, since I live in America now, I am considering going to the next Ig Nobel oh, yeah. ceremony. 
It's unfortunately it's in Harvard, which is yeah, like on the away. other side. Yeah, it's right. It's the other end of the country, which is massive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good six-hour flight, I guess. But <laughs> within might... the same country, it's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it might be worth it, right? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. To attend because uh, they do this whole like perform musical musical they're doing a musical every year, and I, I'm I'm absolutely fascinated with the subjects they discuss as well. At the beginning of our show, I don't know if you guys remember, but I used to read some of the papers that come out came out of the Ignoble. Just the ridiculousness of that. Yeah. Do you remember we used to do like you know which one do you think is a fake and which one is? It was just insane. Oh, how long ago it was. Yes, that was about oh, wow. three years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I'd like to quickly mention here, I, n- I know this doesn't have much of a European angle, but it should be a reminder to us that within the European Union, we have a very strong set of restrictions when it comes to cultivation, import, and processing of GMOs, the genetically modified organisms for food consumption. In Europe, we generally don't have many nutritional difficulties, right? As mm. it is not a common thing among citizens of, of developed countries to suffer from malnutrition. I know there are different kinds of malnutrition. Some of them can affect even people of developed countries. I'm aware of that. But uh, we know that there are many countries where dietary needs cannot be met for many due to the lack of access either by low rates of production or simply because of deep poverty. When it comes to Southeast Asia, the main food item is rice, which is all good. But as a nutritional source, it is far from being able to provide a complete set of nutrients to consumers. In many countries where a great number of people are on a low-quality diet, things like vitamin A deficiency is a serious issue that is being closely monitored by the World Health Organization as well. Several publications have estimated the number of deaths among children under the age of five to be around 670,000 per year, while another half a million children go irreversibly blind every year because of vitamin A deficiency. This is uh, what something called the golden rice has been developed to solve. It is a variety of rice that was uh, genetically engineered, what an ugly word, to produce beta-carotene, which uh, the human body can turn into vitamin A. The production of golden rice was an international effort initiated by the Rockefeller Foundation and among representatives of science, it is generally considered one of the greatest achievements of science for the bettering of humanity. In 2015, it even won the Patents for Humanity Awards in the US. However, organizations like Greenpeace, one of our favorites, uh, have made massive efforts to block the introduction of golden rice to the food supply system, and some countries did jump in the bandwagon and decided not to allow production and distribution as a precaution due to the alleged lack of reliable data of uh, possible health risks. Meanwhile, Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the US have all approved it as safe for consumption and production. And it is now circulating in the news that the Philippines have approved it as well, being the first country to do so that actually has a vitamin A deficiency problem. Now, they will be assessing how farming it can actually be started in the country, and Bangladesh seems to be looking Mm. at it as well. So there are more and more countries, apparently, that are really realizing and recognizing how important it could be in solving this vitamin deficiency issue. I think that developed countries where this is not an issue should not be the ones determining whether these uh, Southeast Asian countries and other developing countries should be using it, and definitely not Greenpeace. Mm. So please don't take advice from Greenpeace when it comes to scientific issues. I would go as far as to saying that not even when it comes to climate change, because they have demonstrated time and time and again that they are much more driven by some weird sense of saving the world than science. <laughs> yeah, that they're so, very ideologically driven and not always very rational. Yes, and and exactly. as we've said many times before, there's nothing that indicates in theory or in practice that GMO 
organisms should be at all dangerous to use. Yeah, genetically modified organisms. Uh, well, the technique itself does not inherently come with serious problems. No, exactly. Mostly it's just an appeal to nature. The sense of it being artificial is what makes people go like, I don't, I don't really want to have anything to do with this. Mm. But no, it, it shouldn't be judged based on that. Yeah, all right. Um, these are the things that, that have been very important for us in the last uh, week or so, but there have been many more things to discuss later on in the news segment. But I think we should crack on with, uh, with the actual show. And to start with, I'd like to ask you, Yala, whether mm-hmm. you have something to talk about in the This Week in Skepticism segment. This week in Skepticism, I want to mention the spiritualist, British spiritualist. She was born on 6th of January 1920. Uh, Her name was Doris May Fisher-Stokes. Actually, she was born Doris Sutton, but the name she was known by, Doris May Fisher-Stokes. Professional medium, well, she claimed to be professional medium spiritualist. She actually was very big in uh, Britain back in the day. So obviously 1920s, that was some time ago. She appeared in various television shows. She sold out big auditoriums. She traveled the world. She actually even performed in Sydney Opera House, believe it or not, and sold that out. And I'm like, what? Wow. Uh, again, go. again, potentially people had not much to do and no Netflix. I keep saying that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she was one of the uh, psychics and spiritualists who claimed to have the ability to talk to the dead people. One of the my least favorite just because we know that people who want so so desperately to get in touch with the loved ones that are gone, is prey upon, suggestible, etc., etc., etc. There is actually a clip of hers on YouTube of her live performance recorded mid-1900s. You know, she comes across as a kind of a down-to-earth lady. She didn't use any magic on stage or anything. There was no tables of or crystal balls or anything, you know, no that type of trickstery, right? She was like all out there, you know, please accept me as I am, nothing to hide. She does sound very down-to-earthy, kind of like no-nonsense type of woman, very friendly voice. And at the beginning of a show, she, she does all this, all this speech about what people gonna see and what what is she all about and she she just like kind of drops it there and she says tonight hopefully i'm quoting tonight hopefully i'm going to prove to you that there is life after death oh i'm sorry okay well that's a a freaking big claim to make right (laughs) (laughs) and uh i I can understand how people get excited about stuff like that that'll be interesting how you, you prove that doris you know Please go go ahead. But of course, despite all this, she was accused during her life of various forms of deception, the way she communicated with the dead. So the usual culprits are, as we know, but I will repeat it again, cold reading, which means basically you just look at the crowd, you read who's in the crowd, you see like, you know, upset people or whatever. You maybe even try to sneak before the show and, and sort of see who's talking about who. I know that some mediums used little cards that they give out to people and they fill them up in and then they use that information later. Anyway, so eavesdropping another one that she was caught to do. And, of course, the very obvious planting accomplices in the audience. But what she also used to do, she used to offer... So the first three rows of her shows would always be reserved for her special guests. And she would offer the tickets to people who genuinely, like, you know, had some sort of a trauma in life or whatever. And she would speak to them on the phone beforehand. And she'd be like, no, already quite a few things about whatever happened in their lives, like the name of the dead person and the place and their name and whatever. And then she'd be like, okay, well, come to my show. You'll be my guest, blah, blah, blah. And she puts them in the front row. How did they not put two and two together that she then already extracted some information and used it during the show? I don't know. But she obviously did that very well. Fooled quite a lot of people. But it was interesting because when she died, almost at the same time as she died, Ian Wilson a guy who was following her work, (laughs) published um, a book called The After-Death Experience, in which he exposed her methods, basically. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. Well, she yeah, she couldn't defend herself uh, there because she was dead by that point. Couldn't we talk to her when she was dead? I mean, it doesn't work <laughs> did both she, ways. Did she not come back? <laughs> <laughs> did she not come back? <laughs> she could talk to the dead. She couldn't talk to the living. That was the problem. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I quote, he describes her there as a slick, surefire answers to the questions of life after death. I think a lot of that was about how confident she felt. Just a usual con artist tricks. Um, so... Another spiritualist and medium born on this day. <laughs> you know, there's quite a few of them. <laughs> One of very many, yes. I know. <laughs> I've mm. noticed that uh, I've been mentioning them a lot lately. Yeah. So there we go. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Thank you very much. All righty. All right. Moving on. I'm pretty sure that Pontus, you have something to poke the Pope, poke the Pope for this week. I sure do. Pope Frankie went out of his way this weekend regarding the US-Iran mess to tell the ones involved to show restraint. And he said, quote, I call on all parties to keep the flame of dialogue and self-control burning, end quote, which is a kind of strange metaphor, in my opinion. The flame of self-control, a bit too fiery for me. If you want to make peace, you should... Maybe not do that with fire, but that's just me. (laughs) Anyway, this called for some of his fans to seriously suggest that the Vatican and Frankie should take over the role of mediator between Iran and the US, a role that is currently the job of Switzerland. And it's not a very envious task at the moment. But I don't know. I know very little about international diplomacy. But to my knowledge, Francis is not a seasoned war diplomat. Yes, he once sent a letter to Cuba asking them to lighten up a bit towards the USA. But one, they probably very much wanted to do that anyway, and they just needed a good reason. And two, they're Catholic. So they actually think that he speaks for God. I seriously doubt that Francis could impress the Ayatollahs of Iran in the same way. (laughs) (laughs) Because they believe, as you know, in another God. Some say it's the same one. The true God. Hey. Yeah, the true God. Uh, yeah, some say it's the same God, but that's how war starts. And of course, we know that Trump, on the other hand, he believes that he is God. So he wouldn't uh, listen either. <laughs> also, it is a bit rich for Frankie to ask others to restrain themselves. By now, many of our listeners may have seen the footage of Frankie from New Year's Eve, meeting and greeting his fans at St. Peter's Square. Did you see that? No. Mm? For those of you who haven't, uh, he is seen shaking hands with some people, reaching out into the crowd, touching and briefly holding their hands. Very nice and cozy, but suddenly it turns ugly, because as he turns away to leave the crowd, the one lady who is just next in line gets so upset that she's about to miss her opportunity to meet Frankie. So she reaches out and grabs poor Frankie with both hands and pulls him very hard towards herself. (laughs) And that wasn't very nice of her, but I guess she was caught up in the moment and and just lost it. But Frankie, in return, didn't exactly turn the other cheek, which is what he would say that you should do. Instead, he got mad and he hit the woman over her hand, not just once, but twice, before he left the scene obviously pissed Uh, and i think at that point even his bodyguards were a little afraid of him i I know i would have been if you saw his face there so um well surely he did the right thing and apologized the day after and it was a good apology he took the full blame and he said he was sorry for the bad example that he had set but the strange thing i was reflecting of the aftermath of this many latches onto this story to say look he's just human like us and I, I just don't get that. Of course, I see him as a normal guy, more like a politician, really. But if you believe in the story that he is selling, which I obviously don't, isn't he supposed to be above and beyond this? Isn't the Pope supposed to be infallible? There is this official dogma about uh, the papal infallibility. Yes. And, and this infallibility is said to be, and I quote from their own documents, More than a simple de facto absence of error, it is a positive perfection ruling out the possibility of error, end quote. If that's the case, why are people then so happy when he admits to being wrong? Shouldn't that invalidate the whole principle of the thing? 
But uh, then again, I'm just a stupid atheist, so what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, in other news, Mother Teresa, canonized by that same Francis in 2016, was actively protecting a known pedophile priest called Donald J. McGuire. That news came out lately. Oops. But I just leave that link what in the. What a surprise! Yeah, I'll just leave that link in the show notes so people can read it for themselves. Because who's surprised? <laughs> <laughs> wow! You know what else we should uh, link to uh, on the show notes is <laughs> the latest uh, performance of Ricky Gervais as the host of the Golden Globe oh, Award. Please! Oh I my god! I mean, god. if there is still one person left who hasn't seen it, I'd be very, very surprised. Well, I mean, you but have to. What a great <laughs> comment when he says, it was a great day for a pedophile movies, <laughs> and he started listing them, and at the end of the list, it was the two popes. Oh yeah, of course. Of, of course. course, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if after all this poking, they wouldn't have made it to the list, I'd be very disappointed. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of good points and a lot of very disappointed faces, and I'm like, oh, get over yourself, people. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, and he keeps saying that. Oh yeah, it was the last time. Who cared? I, 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 I certainly don't. <laughs> That's, he said that several times now. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. So. It came to my mind is that specifically movie being mentioned mm. and uh i still haven't seen it though i oh. i know it's on netflix but i haven't had time to to watch it yet uh, jonathan price's face upon that comment <laughs> he looked as disturbed as uh, if he was as if he was Pope frankie himself. himself and he was yes. assaulted <laughs> by a guy in the, or a lady in the queue oh yeah. my god uh. He was offended big time. <laughs> yeah, he, he I think he offended everybody in that room pretty much and more. And then uh, all these people jumped on the offended bandwagon. Again, being offended doesn't mean anything. So get over mm. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Moving on. Thank you very much, Pontus, for poking Thank the you. Pope once again. I think we should move on to the news items. It's always a great thing to see good activism on the rise. This is what happens from time to time in Germany, because there are a lot of good news flowing in from that country. We already mentioned this time Informatia Netzwerk Homeopathy, but uh, there are other things as well. So, for example, there is a website called Madwatch. And Medwatch is not affiliated with uh, the same organization which belongs to the Food and Drug Administration of the United States. It's a reporting program on safety information and adverse events. But the same thing is being done by this uh, German organization. This was an initiative that started two years ago by publishing the first article on the website with the title dedicated to research why we do MedWatch. They started a blog and it was not very much of a news outlet, but uh, as, a, as an unprofessional blog written by people who actually knew what they were talking about. And uh, they were talking about adverse events, uh, things in the medical profession, dangerous and dubious promises of healing methods and stuff. So... They named it as a, as a bit of a gray area between science and pseudoscience. And uh, they were the ones trying to shed some light on what is what. Within two years, and this is, this is the great success story in this whole thing. Within two years, they managed to pile up such a great number of uh, supporters by, through crowdfunding that they announced that now they are moving towards a different state of being an actual online magazine, an online portal, uh, news portal, uh, that people can turn to. So this is a very good move. This is, I think, much welcome. And this shows us that with the proper backing of the public, great efforts can go very, very far. Hmm. Very good. Yeah. So well done, Medwatch. Yeah. All right. Speaking of uh, spreading information and activism, thanks to listener Ernesto in, in Spain for the following news. We have mentioned before the European Manifesto Against Pseudotherapies, 
This is yes. a manifesto published by a Spanish organization called APTEP, which is a Spanish abbreviation of the Association to Protect the Sick from Pseudoscientific Therapies. Uh, the manifesto, which you can sign if you're a scientific or health professional, takes a clear stance against all non-proven or disproven quackery and nonsense, such as homeopathy, acupuncture, Reiki, German new medicine, iridology, biomagnetism, and a lot of other stuff like that. Now, the National Homeopathy Assembly, which is an umbrella organization for homeopaths in Spain, has filed a legal complaint against APTEP, accusing them for, of slander and for, quote, an excessive and unjustified attack on the dignity and honor of, the, of this organization and its members, end quote. This is a serious business, and therefore APTEP has been forced to start a GoFundMe campaign uh, to get means to defend themselves. The goal is to collect 30,000 euros to begin with. And as we record this, they are at 5,000 euros. So much more is needed. It's a terrible business because there's no doubt that the homeopaths have lots and lots of money at their disposal. And of course, also, this is their whole existence at stake. So there's no question that they will fight uh, this as much as they can. So, of course, our position here at the ESP is to our listeners to go to the link that we will share in the show notes. And please support if you can, because it's a fucking outrage that you can be sued for simply pointing out that someone else is selling so-called health treatments that have never been shown to work. But but luckily, we, we know of the precedent that people who have been sued for similar things have won, so, so have pushed back. Yeah, but but still, it can be very costly. Even if you're innocent and if it ends in your favor, it can be extremely costly to defend yourself against these kinds of lawsuits. That is true, yeah. Mm. Mm. On a slightly brighter note now, Prince William of the royal family in Britain unveiled a new prize to help tackle climate crisis called Earthshot Prize. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been this prize uh, will be one of the most prestigious awards to receive in history. So it'll carry a, a monetary, of course, award. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also the aim of this prize is to encourage and inspire young people, uh, companies, whoever, to come up with solutions to tackle the um, climate crisis that we are experiencing. And so for the next 10 years, so between 2020 and 2030, it aims to provide at least 50 answers to some of the greatest problems facing the planet. I'd say it's a very ambitious goal, but I like it. I like the sound of it. I think we should aim high and see what we can do. Uh, there is no boundaries for human ingenuity. We've done the amazing things in the past, so I'm rooting for whoever's come up will come up with good ideas. I'm not necessarily saying that the money should be something that inspires people, but if it helps, then, you know, why not? Why the hell not? Yeah, it's the recognition as well. But let's let yeah. just hope that he is more scientifically minded than his father, Prince William. So, so <laughs> Well, at least he's well, back in the right horse. In this. <laughs> it's very easy to be more scientifically minded than his father. So. <laughs> it is, it is. We're not normally fans of the yeah, UK royalty here. But yeah, No, but, I, we're not. And we've, we've yeah, talked let's about give him them. the benefit of the doubt and let's hope uh, it yeah. turns out to be well, something good. So Sir Attenborough has backed up this uh, initiative and he's actually got like a little clip that I shared where he talks about this prize and this initiative, how important it is to um, try to tackle those issues that we're currently facing. Mm. So good luck. I hope it works out. I hope there'll be amazing uh, nominees in the next 10 years. We'll keep a really close watch. But in the meantime, I want to mention something that actually came to my attention because of Joe Rogan podcast. Come on. Mm -hmm. He sometimes has some amazing people on his podcast. And he recently had a guy called Boyan Slat on, who is originally from Netherlands. A very young man, very entrepreneurial and inventive and clever. And he started a company called The Ocean Cleanup. 
Uh, I don't know if you guys heard of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a little bit, yes. After listening to this podcast, like my faith in humanity was restored. I just could not believe how amazing this guy was. And also how casually he was talking about the one of the most pressing issues like plastic in the ocean and how he came up with this idea to clean it up. And I'm following their work now and the amazing things they do. So I'd be like, I'd be nominating him if he, he, you know, yeah, for I was this just prize. Yeah, but, I was but he's, um, he's actually raised a lot of capital by the same means that startups normally do. And people contributed millions and millions and millions of dollars. And he never really expected it to lift off like this. I think this is truly kind of a proof that, that it is possible to come up with amazing solutions for problems that we currently face. So, and I hope that this prize might be a help in that direction. Good. Yeah. Good, good. Uh, I'd like to refer back to um, someone mentioned earlier, and that is um, Prince Charles, uh, the Prince of Wales. One of his arch enemies <laughs> when it comes to uh, t- uh, pseudoscientific claims is uh, Edzard Ernst. As many others did, uh, Edzard Ernst um, piled up a list of uh, things that he has done and achieved in the decade, starting in 2010, whether we think it is the actual turn of the decade or not. Yeah, let's Um, take that discussion one more time. (laughs) Yeah, no, we're not going to. So the title of his uh, blog post about this is uh, 2010 to 2019, a decade in so-called alternative medicine, which can be abbreviated as SCAM. I do do like that uh, abbreviation, by the way, very Mm. much. Obviously, he's been quite busy retiree because he retired. Mm. uh, It was an early retirement for him in 2011 or 2010. And uh, since then, he's been doing quite a bit. He's been writing papers, more than 500 of them, 1,700 blog posts, and gave 300 lectures in those 10 years. He's written a couple of books as well. Written a couple of books as well. And he starts by 2010 when they published a book with Simon Singh Mm. with the title Trick or Treatment. That was quite a hit. In that and in other publications, they criticized, he criticized the Smallwood Report, which was by the Lancet editor, Richard Horton. The Smallwood Report officially is titled The Role of Complementary and Alternative Medicine in the NHS, an investigation into the potential contribution of mainstream alternative therapies to healthcare in the UK. And it was commissioned by Prince Charles. So when they got to criticizing that, Prince Charles obviously retaliated in a way and um, he tried uh, as a journalist tried to preserve the department he was working for by going into an early retirement he did but it didn't really work out the department had to be closed down and that was a direct result of the intervention from prince charles so if someone thinks that prince charles doesn't have power mm. then just think about that and please read Edson Ernst's book A Scientist in Wonderland it's a very good read so they published uh, this Scientist in Wonderland in 2015 it is available in German Spanish and Korean as well he received at the same year 2015 he received the John Maddox award for standing up for science and he donated the prize money to the Good Thinking Society, wow. which is probably the best choice ever. Mm. The Good Thinking Society being the one that has achieved so much in tackling pseudoscience in the eyes of the public. And in 2016, Springer invited him to write a book, and that resulted in Homeopathy, the Undiluted Facts, published in English and in German as well. In 2017, he was awarded the Occam Award at QED, which was uh, accepted by Simon Singh in his name. In 2018, another Springer book, An Ethical Issues, read by Scam, was published. More Good Than Harm, The Moral Maze of Complementary and Alternative Medicine is the title. The same year, he also published another book by the title Scam. And in 2019, he published again with Springer an analysis of 150 scam modalities. So quite a busy 
decade he he's had the last time we interviewed him at the european skeptics congress he did say that he now thinks of probably publishing a book every year until the end of his life and uh, we agreed that we would like to see him publishing dozens of books <laughs> <laughs> yeah a great guy. Yeah. So, well done. We do appreciate all your work, Edzard. You are amazing. You are like a lighthouse to all of us. It's, it's a, you're a torchlight that people can follow. And your approach is something that a lot of us can learn from. So, thank you very much for all your work. And keep up that fantastic work you're doing. Mm -hmm. All right, over to something else now. Jelena told us about a ghost story last week, which reminded me that we don't talk too much about ghosts on the show. <laughs> Bring the ghosts we back. We well, definitely should. Well, one, one reason, of course, is maybe that they don't exist. So there's not a lot to talk about. But, well. but even if ghosts aren't real, ghost hunters are. So let's talk about that a little bit. This story comes to us courtesy of former ghost hunter turned skeptic Haley Stevens, who we've had on the show way back in the mists of time back in episode 66. On her blog, she recently posted that the latest within the business of ghost hunting is the, and I'll try to pronounce this, the Bakatan Reiseki Kai ghost rock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which claims to be able to help people detect if ghosts are nearby. This is something you can buy online. It's a small and compact pendant uh, in a plastic casing, which has a quartz crystal inside. And the crystal is said to change color to indicate that a ghost is nearby. Haley says it's like the sword of Bilbo Baggins that glows whenever an orc is around. And <laughs> it's just as scientific as all that. We'll link to the article there where Haley does a good job of going through how it can be explained by, by real physics and uh, real science. She's great that way. But I wanted to mention this because I think skeptics like us tend to forget some bullshit beliefs that were the focus for a lot of the skeptics who started the movement in the 70s and the 80s, the, the early skeptics movement thinking about UFOs and spirits and water dowsing and, and things like that. But there is a trend that these things tend to come back long after we think that we have debunked them. New generations grow up and rediscover things like ghosts and horoscopes and tarot readings. And it's very good that some people like Haley continue to be the voice of reason out there and keep an eye on things like that. Agreed. Also, it gives us a rational voice to refer to when we need it, we, mm -hmm. if, even if we don't analyze it ourselves all the time. So good work, Haley. And it's, and it's so easy to dismiss claims of ghosts and others offhand mm -hmm. without going into details. And, and she does mm -hmm. go into details and she does proper investigations, which, mm -hmm. uh, which is the way to go. Uh, by by just dismissing things offhand, you cannot achieve much more than alienating people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I've got some good news about a new book that's coming out in February by a writer, Natalie Grams, who we had Ooh. on our show and interviewed her on a topic of homeopathy. She's written a book called What Really Works, and that will be published on 18th of February. And basically what, what she discusses in that book is what re really works in terms of conventional medicine and why, you know, why certain uh, medications work, how they work. And she looks at the other things, you know, homeopathy, acupuncture, osteopathy. In fact, she talks about how looking maybe at, at medicine in a holistic way can be done better because I think holistic became this fashionable word and everybody's using it and we should be looking at the patient as uh, not just as one place that hurts or one whatever but as a whole and uh, she has some good ideas around that she kind of dismisses some of the myths that exist out there about the conventional medicine and of course the uh, so-called alternative medicine <laughs> mm. or scam i'm sure it will be a great read for for everybody interested in that subject so, What Really Works by Natalie Grams. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's funny. The book hasn't come out yet. 
but it already has some uh, one-star reviews on Amazon, I can see. Oh, uh, we because know people, those people are. <laughs> people don't always like her message, so they so they go out and says the book is bad even before it's come out. So, ah. so that means that Amazon still hasn't figured out yet that if you haven't bought something, you cannot write a review. Mm. It's a good policy, I think, because otherwise you can mm. end up uh, with, a, with a lot of different reviews from people who have not even touched the thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, one more thing to finish on, and we are going back to Spain for this. It's been a long time that we haven't mentioned El Escéptico, which is the magazine of uh, Spanish skeptics. It's produced by ARP SAPC, which is um, the Spanish organization, one of the Spanish organizations for the advancement of critical thinking. And uh, they published a two-piece series of articles on the pharmaceutical industry. So they uh, a spotlight on the pharmaceutical industry. We don't think of it as a necessary thing to discuss, usually, because we, we, are, we are so quick at criticizing alternative medicinal practices and claims and everything but sometimes we should focus on the pharmaceutical industry as well because there are things to criticize there and if we understand those things it could help us in making people understand why medicine and science-based medicine is much more important and much more reliable than alternative medicine, even if there are issues in the pharmaceutical industry that are mainly generating from the need for profit. So it's a two-part series in number 49 and number 52 of El Esceptico, which is the Spanish-speaking magazine of uh, Spanish skeptics. So check it out if you speak Spanish or understand Spanish. It's, it's an important topic to discuss. That concludes our list of news. So we are moving on to the next segment when Pontus tells us who's been really wrong or really right lately. All right, at this time of the year, lots of people resolve to lead better lives, which famously never not works me, out. Not me, not me. <laughs> not you, no. No, I've stopped making promises I can't keep as well. One thing that people tend to focus on is on their diet and how to eat healthier. In the Daily Mail... Uh-oh, the Daily Fail, the, you mean? <laughs> on the 4th of January. <laughs> there, it's never the good beginning. <laughs> There was an article about the most common trends this year. We are talking about celery juice against cancer, detox diets to rid you of dangerous chemicals, bone soup, believe it or not, also against cancer, claims that milk may cause cancer, and advice from Gwyneth Paltrow's personal clean eating guru. So that sounds terrible, right? Mm -hmm. Just what you expect from the Daily Mail. Wrong. Because they're doing it good. Oh, well. The Daily Mail goes through all of these claims, where they come from, and then debunks them. The Daily Mail goes on to recommend other sources and books that are sound and scientific that you should read instead. And all of those uh, seem quite legit to me, even if I haven't read all of them. And uh, the Daily Mail is actually doing a very good thing here, promoting science and critical thinking. The only beef I have is that they didn't mention Pixie Turner's No Need to Diet book, mm-hmm. which would have been perfect that in the in the context there, but uh, they're actually doing a good job for once. Giving the Daily Mail the Really Right Award is becoming a strange and unexpected <laughs> tradition here at the ESB. Widely known, as you said, uh, Andras, as the Daily Fail. This was not something that I would have uh, predicted when we started, but... Uh, For standing up for real good diet advice and food recommendations, explaining why others are nonsense, the Daily Mail gets today's prize for being really right. And that's not the first time they get this prize. Wow, okay. (laughs) And good for you and well done putting aside your biases and preconceptions about uh, the Daily Mail (laughs) and uh, recognizing when they do good. Yeah, I welcome this. Wow, pretty good. Thank you very much for the Daily Mail. There is hope. These are the things that keep us um, optimistic, right? Yeah, When we see things like that, that even the Daily Mail can do good. 
All right, thank you very much. And that means we are concluding our show. But before we go, I'd like to ask you, Yelena, to share a quote with us. I have a quote from Charles Darwin, and it goes like that. To kill an error is as good a service as, and sometimes even better than, the establishing of a new truth or fact. Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Errors should be eradicated. <laughs> Exterminate. <laughs> Exterminate. Exterminate. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. Good old Chuck. Good yeah. old Chuck. Thank you very much for all that. Thanks to Darwin as well for coming up with uh, such a good, good uh, thought. But this concludes our show. And I'd like to thank both of you. It's been a great pleasure again. I would also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Paka paka. Bye bye. Peace out. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Sorry to be picky, but it's hard to edit this. Just say No, it's impossible to edit. Yeah. It's <laughs> We should have a video recording of this. Actually, I think I've closed that one too. I don't know what's going on today with me. Uh, it's all not working out very well. Is it getting late? One sec. I do have one. Oh, I do have a quote. Is the tab okay. open? Uh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> uh, hilarious. <laughs>